0: Welcome to Good People Talk, the podcast of the Good People Fund. This episode, we speak to Yael Levy, CEO of Sahar, a GPF grantee in Israel. Sahar is an internet and digital-based emotional support and suicide prevention organization using a unique model to provide individuals with anonymous, confidential support and intervention creating an environment for positive outcomes. For more information about GPF and Sahar, visit goodpeoplefund.org. Here's GPF co-founder and executive director, Naomi Eisenberger, in conversation with Yael.
1: You started out as uh, someone in the startup sector, which is certainly a big part of Israel today. What made you switch to working in the nonprofit world?
0: First of all, I will surprise you because it's not that different. Uh, Sahar is uh, is a startup in the yes. nonprofit world. Honestly, it I was at a point in my life where after the birth of my second child, where I was looking for a change in my career and working in the business sector uh, didn't feel right anymore. And I was looking for my next uh, challenge. Sahar bumped into my life. I cannot recall a specific reason that made me join four and a half years ago. But what I do remember very clearly is that I felt it was like, and I also told my husband that I felt it's like it can be kind of my baby, an organization mm-hmm. full of potential, really like a baby that you know only showed up to the world. Uh, that wasn't even close to to fulfillment and uh, many questions uh, needed to be asked and so much to do. And I think I identified at the time the potential. I didn't know without knowing too much uh, about the organization and about what I am about to do in the organizations and the changes that I will lead. But I just decided to jump in and take that lead. You know, moving from the startup sector, sector it excited me. And, and you know, I, I thought it was kind of a, a connection.
1: Sahar is is a very effective organization in terms of, of helping Israelis who are experiencing mental distress or uh, suicidal situations. The atmosphere in which you're working is really one of anonymity. Could you share with us a little bit about the very unique ecosystem of support that Sahar offers to people who are in this position, and how um, technology and volunteerism has come together have come together to to make it all possible.
0: Sahar was a, a pioneer, meaning that we were the first organization in the world that provided, which provided mental health through digital means. There was no other organization in the world or in Israel at the time, we're talking about the year 2000, that actually offered mental uh, help digitally. Uh, Telephones, people rang people, you know, 50 years ago, but uh, helping anonymously through the internet was really a New uh, field of expertise. And I think that, you know, the anonymity you asked me about uh, a lot of people in suicidal risk or in deep depression often experience barriers to seeking treatment. So uh, they are afraid to be exposed, they are shy about their situation, and actually. Offering an anonymous path of of treatment—actually, it's not treatment, but help—can actually, to actually share their feelings with no one judging them, Uh, no one actually seeing their face, hearing their voice. You can be, you know, really yourself by sharing your own feelings knowing that somebody on the other side who is a volunteer is listening to you with his free heart. No one pays them to actually, to listen to other people's distress and they're doing it, doing it with their open heart and willingness. So it's also, I think a part of knowing that somebody at the other part of, of, of the line of, of the screen, is, is there just to listen.
1: What's the place of the volunteer?
0: First of all, I, I would like, you know, to um, address uh, your question related to uh, the era that we are living in right now. We are living in a post-corona, not exactly post, but, you know, right. still in the COVID-19 period where social workers, therapists, psychologists, psychiatrists, at least here in Israel, uh, the waiting lines are like eight months to 12 months ahead. So training non-professionals, that's how we call them, or volunteers to take part in this war, I can even say, okay? War of uh, staying alive, dealing and coping with so many uh, difficulties uh, that the COVID-19 has brought to our lives. So actually exploiting a resource uh, that is there and wants to help and wants to give and wants to do good for the other and actually training them professionally to uh, provide help can actually help the whole system in, in, in total, okay? If we're looking at the whole system in total and not just, you know, the pure volunteerism energy that each one of us has in, in his self. Uh, if mm-hmm. I'm looking, you know, at the big picture, I think that joining or adding volunteers into the deteriorating or mental health system that uh, the situation, at least today, as a result of COVID-19 is a
1: must. Absolutely. (laughs) I mean, this is, you know, truly an incredibly creative and highly functioning system. Does it exist anywhere else in the world? What
0: actually differentiates us? Yes from and makes us unique as opposed to other organizations it that we do not only wait for people to come and get help from our services but we also do the outreach of detecting and monitoring people in distress through social media and then create uh, a system our volunteers actually search for them through social media, and then we actively address them and invite them actually to get help through our services. So it's not only, so the outreach is is really, really important because early detection uh, of suicidal distress, even through social media can really save lives. and the non-detection or waiting for people only to uh, get energies and you know turn to help can be sometimes too late and very, very painful. So um, this model of, of the outreach uh, patrol that actually monitors and detects uh, actively people in distress is uh, something that is not done it's not. It's a model that was developed by Sahar, and we are not aware of other organizations in the world that uh, work or have a similar model at, as of today.
1: Tell us a little bit more about that. That more proactive approach using technology, where you can identify people who are in distress. So first of all, our outreach natural
0: volunteers, this is how we call them, are first of all trained to uh, search for distress messages through social media. It can be through Facebook, Instagram, or blogs, internet sites, etc. And then having been trained on how to address a person in distress with a specific issue, they reach out to them. They write a message that will be empathetic, uh, create uh, intimacy between, try to create intimacy, although it's not a conversation. It's only a message that you receive, but writing it correctly and in an empathetic way might help the person understand his situation, first of all, and then with the right call to action, okay, inviting them to our uh, chat line or providing them with more information about their specific distress can lead that person to make the step of turning to either to our chat hotline or to another service in the community but our agenda and our aim is to make him feel that he is seen that someone saw his distress that someone actually provides him with pure pure uh help not you know we're not a company we're a nonprofit so uh, we don't have any interests uh, of having him go to a specific treatment and then make the person actually make the move. This is what the outreach patrol volunteers uh, activity is aimed at doing, uh, is uh, actually reaching out and trying to make those people in acute distress
1: turn to help, okay, to further help. One of the things that sort of compounds the challenges is the fact that Israel has such a diverse population and that you're dealing with multicultures. You're dealing with a wide religious base. It, it's nuanced, and there's there are differences. So
0: first of all, we do provide assistance in Hebrew and in Arabic. And our volunteers are clearly from the diversity of population here in Israel. But I think that the common denominator between all of these populations and cultures is speaking the language of empathy. And it doesn't matter if you're Arab, if you're Jewish, uh, if you're younger or older, uh, if you're a teenager, if it, it re- doesn't really matter as long as you learn how to communicate empathetically. Cultural barriers are actually, they go down because you speak one language and this language is actually common to all cultures. So our Arab hotline and our Hebrew hotlines. It's not the same trainers and professional supervisor that actually train the volunteers because some speak Hebrew and some speak Arabic, but the content is actually the same. There are nuance, nuances, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if the Arab community here in Israel now uh, deals with a lot of uh, violence, so our Volunteers will go through a more intensive training regarding violence in the Arab population. The Hebrew uh, population will actually, the the training will address issues that are more common for the uh, uh, Jewish-Israeli population. But basically, we're talking about the same language so we all speak the same
1: language talk us through what happens a volunteer connects to somebody who is in distress just give us a sense very briefly as to what the steps are so first of all
0: we uh, listen the volunteer is trained to listen uh to the distress and not try to solve any problem just to listen and understand between the r- words written, uh, the main and center, central feeling that the other person at the other side is actually experiencing at the moment. And once we understand that there's a specific risk to the lives, uh, to the life of, the caller, the other side, uh, caller, mm-hmm. the writer in, uh, in digital means. So uh, we need to activate our em- emergency protocols, okay? Me- emergency protocols mean, um, an emergency protocol means that the volunteer needs to alert uh, the supervisor who is always with him in the shift. It's always a social worker or a psychologist that accompanies the shift, every shift. And then he asks the psychologist or the social worker, the supervisor, to take action, meaning that they need to read the conversation and really understand if there is a specific risk. If there is a specific risk, and uh, this is our estimation, so in Israel, we are forced to uh, report to the police. Uh, unfortunately, today in Israel, there is no other body or, uh, or there are no other authorities that can deal with uh, a suicidal risks. So if you're above 18, then the police would probably, actually, we, we will call them. If you're under 18 in Israel, so uh, we have uh, more options. There's kind of a system that can investigate the case, uh, welfare uh, representatives, education representatives, law representatives from the various governmental offices. They kind of they 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 ha- handle the case and then decide what's the best thing to do in the specific situation.
1: We touched a little bit about COVID in earlier in our conversation. Give us a sense, sort of in numbers, what kind of an explosion took place with within Sahar that this was somewhat of a turning yes. point for the organization.
0: Yes, so we're going back to March uh, twenty twenty. <laughs> right? I think the panic, the anxiety, and we know here in Israel to be anxious. I think it was kind of a mixture between the the panic that all the world was experiencing, and actually the understanding that here in Israel, mental health in general, was a field that was neglected throughout the years. And if Someone needs help to overcome the stress and anxiety that he's experiencing right now, so we should be there. So what we did is actually we expanded our working hours in like one month from three hours a day to 16 hours a day, mainly during uh, lockdown times where people were really at home couldn't do anything, were looking for help and were not able to go out. So expanding the working hours of our volunteers and at the same time, opening the the chat hotline in Arabic was also a strategic step because also a population that is neglected And needs much more help and don't sometimes live in areas and in the periphery where you cannot actually uh, you don't have uh, mental health services. So this is something that we thought we must do expanding our hours and also opening uh, the hotline in Arabic.
1: Where do you see the future?
0: So first of all, we, we worked in the last year on developing the WhatsApp services, Service, which is kind of a must today. It means that people are might be less anonymous, but at least they have the choice of turning to Sahar and actually choosing if they want to communicate with us through WhatsApp, which is on everybody's cell phone. Or the anonymous way through our site, but actually, we are always with them, with on their cell phone wherever they go. So this was kind of a, a, a long development that we worked on. So always being uh, able to develop platforms that are current, always be able to be uh, ahead of technology and be able to make our services accessible to anyone who needs them. The other thing is we are not, today we're not open 24 seven, seven, but distress Mm. and mental situations are there for every one of us 24 seven. Uh, So what we are trying now to develop is actually open, a North American branch where oh. we could where we could recruit volunteers from the other side of the world right that are ahead of us in seven eight nine hours and actually they can help us man the service lines where our volunteers here in Israel are asleep. And we must be able to expand our services and our working hours to provide more hours to more people and help more people in distress finally expanding ourselves technology wise and also you know our hours during the, the the hours of the day
1: yeah el thank you again for taking your time to to speak to us today it's a remarkable program and we are beyond honored to to be part of it
0: without yeah. without our super men men and super women volunteers i wouldn't be able to do anything and without my you know my team of uh, professionals right. that uh, accompanies uh, and leads the the work with the volunteers sahar wouldn't exist so it's very important to say the the credit should go I think to the volunteers who do the work daily and are here at their own, with their own heart and uh, at their full will to help other people in distress, Uh, we wouldn't be able to do that without them. So of course, uh... of course.
1: Thank you. And um, we will be in touch.